Steve Carson. <laughs> this is Dr. Steve Carson. He is the medical director for emergency department in Visalia. And my boss. Some of the time. <laughs> so, good, good. Thank you for coming. Uh, I know it's late in the day, so, um, and I followed some pretty humorous talks here. Um, yeah, so I'm the medical director of Quia Delta. We're about 82,000 patient visits a year. Um, we see a lot of trauma, a level three trauma center at Quia Delta. As Tim was saying, there are cases that we do not manage at uh, Quia Delta. One of them is pelvic fractures. The other one is neurosurgical cases. They tend to go to a regional medical center in Fresno. So this is what we're going to talk about today. Um, Lori's going to try to hustle me through the slides here. She's my boss today. So I uh, try to keep on uh, task here, try to keep you awake. I think one of the hardest lectures I ever gave or talks I gave was to a bunch of eighth graders uh, for career day, uh, trying to keep their attention. They have like a five-minute attention span, and then they're doing this thing with their fingers. I don't know. So, so we're going to talk about Darwin's contributions. Uh, I'm going to give you a little story. Um, as Tim was talking about, the, the mechanism of injury, I think that's pretty important. History, physical, radiographic considerations. We're going to go through some x-rays, how to read uh, cervical x-rays. Um, we're going to go through some unstable fractures, management, a little conclusion, and wrap up. So uh, a little bit about myself. Uh, I don't own this place, um, but I like to look at landmarks. Uh, I think landmarks are important both in emergency medicine and where you live. Does anybody know where this is? Casino. <laughs> casino. Yes, Casino Point. That's Casino Point. Okay, great. Good. Casino Point. Casino Point where? It's on Catalina Island. It's, it's one of the Channel Islands that's off the coast of Southern California. There's five. Is it five Channel Islands? Yeah. yeah. Did you really? Catalina Island? For the Anybody scuba dive? Right on, right on. There's good abalone. There was good abalone there one time. Okay, cool. So landmarks. Uh, so Catalina Island. Good. Next landmark. Does anybody know where this is located? No, nobody from where I come from. Switzerland. Okay, Switzerland. Nope. It has the American flag next to it. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, dude, dude, tap the sh No, just kidding, just kidding. That's, that's, totally, that, that's what I would say. Sorry. So we have American flag. Yes, yes, yes. There's some Swiss Alps in the background. We have a trolley call here, so it's not in San Francisco. Does anybody know where this is? Starts with a V, ends with an A. Who said I said? Okay, so I'm going to have some questions uh, throughout the talk. I know BCU got that, but uh, we're going to open it up here. So this is Visalia, uh, California. I live, my house is somewhere around this area right here. Actually, right there. Okay, so Visalia, Switzerland. All right. So I like to look. I like to look at uh, you know. Part of putting this slideshow together was kind of fun for me. There's a there's a story. There's a story that goes with every patient, with every PowerPoint, uh, and and the starting of the, the the start of the story starts with 
the, the injury, the illness, you, you pick it, whatever that point in time is. And sometimes it, it's, it's a blurry line when, when the story starts. So our story starts with injury. And then it continues with the pre-hospital. We go to the ED evaluation, inpatient management, outpatient management. Now, sometimes in emergency medicine, this is kind of a blurry thing. Do we admit? Do we send home? My, my talk is easy. Unstable spine fractures are going to be admitted. That's easy. But some things are, are not, like uh, the, the talk about the uh, fractures and dislocations. Those aren't always going to be admitted. Okay. So this is one of my favorite uh, things here, is the Darwin Awards. So this, this is in uh, Pixley. This guy here. This is actually in New Zealand. Anybody know what this is called? Anybody know what this is right here? Okay, what's this? Bungee dumping, good. This? It's Tim Spade's car. <coughs> this is in Tipton, which is just south of Tulare. Uh, guys are uh, enjoying the tunes in their inflatable pool. So anybody know where this is? New Zealand. Who said that? Right on. Okay. So New Zealand. Yeah, we, what's that? What are they doing there? This is called zorbing. They, they, they go into this big ball, it's filled with water, and you go tumbling down this hill. Now, they tell me in New Zealand it's the only place they do it. You know, California, I guess, has tried to do this, uh, but with no success. So this is zorbing, it's in New Zealand. This is also in New Zealand. I think this is in Queenstown. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. If you ever have a chance, go to New Zealand. It's gorgeous. It just takes forever to get down there, but once you get there, it's great. So. Our talk today is about unstable spine fractures. What kind, whoops, what would this cause, and maybe this guy here, what, what would we see? What kind of injury pattern might we see with this particular? Okay. Well, this is more of a compression fracture, so this is axial loading. All right. So let's go to... Uh, I'm going to see if this really works. Hopefully we have. I might have to. Oh, cool. Um, let's see. Uh-oh. I know. Something's happening. Yeah. It's working. Was it working? Yeah, I think it's working. Oh, hi, dear. Oh, yeah, this is it. Is this dial-up? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We go to Catalina, we can't get past it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Alrighty. That's okay. Are you sure? That's fine. We got the spinning wheel of death here. <coughs> what were you saying about Microsoft, Lori? Oh. Saying Macs are better. Yeah. I know. I don't, I don't know what that color wheel means, though. What's <laughs> the problem? Is that control? Get it stuff? I'm sorry, I crashed your Mac.
Jeez. Lori, I'm sorry. Uh, oh my gosh. I, I, I didn't think that. Uh, oh, cool. Oh, way cool. So this is, again, this is a mechanism of injury here. See if you can find out what the mechanism of injury is here with these. Uh, these are professional football players. But he gets up, so that's good. So it's an upper body crunch. Oh, it's okay. That's okay. So, uh, that's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. So, you get a little idea of what happens before the patients show up in your emergency department. So, um, since LA no longer has a football team, who do you root for? Chargers? Chargers, Chargers. Chargers. yeah. Yeah. We we are yeah. Thank you, thank you. We grow up uh, or where we live, it's the uh, 49ers or the Raiders. Ugh. So not much of a choice there. Okay, so nothing personal. This is a case. Um, so Tim and I, uh, Tim is our trauma guy, and we sit on a, a trauma review. So this is a case that came in. It's kind of an interesting case. This is an 88. This is a very unfortunate guy. His, so he calls 911 for his wife. And as he's opening up the door for the paramedics, he smacks into the door, falls to the ground. So the paramedics not have one patient, but two patients. So this guy is the second patient that EMS brings in. So, and that's about the, 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 the only story I have on this guy. He's reporting neck pain and left thumb pain, denies any weakness. So left thumb pain and neck pain. Nurses know it's complaining of neck pain between the shoulder blades. Uh, states it's from laying on the board. Weak grip and unable to point feet to the floor. Okay, so I'll start thinking about what this could be here. Um, historical considerations. When I, the history is important, it, it's part of that continuum of disease. There's different things that factor into these injuries. One is Down syndrome. They're more uh, predisposed to occipital atlantal dislocations. The rheumatoid arthritis, there's a rupture of the transverse ligament. So these are uh, historical things to keep in mind. Now you can ask somebody, hey, you got rheumatoid arthritis? Probably not. We have an electronic medical record. Generally, we can look back on our charts and see if, what the past medical history is on the patients. 
uh, pain, C2 lesion can cause occipital pain, and then uh, C5 lesion is pain to the trapezius area. So different areas where the patient hurts. Falls from great height is suggestive of a compression fracture. And we'll, I have some pictures later on of uh, some compression fractures, things to think about that you've probably studied and, and learned about prior to this. Uh, forces. The, the other thing is how, what happened to the patient? Was this a motor vehicle accident? Was that football player doing a, uh, a plant with his head into the ground? Was he spearing somebody? Was it in a high-speed motor vehicle accident, head-on collision? Was it a diving uh, accident? Was it uh, an elderly person with a hyperextension injury? All these things play into what's the final diagnosis. So this is this gentleman's physical examination. Uh, he got in here relatively early in the morning. And as you can see, vital signs are pretty good. He's a little bit uh, hypertensive, but not bad. So he's relatively stable. We always get an O2 saturation. <laughs> so it's pretty good, 96%. The neuro, uh, he's got decreased hearing. He also has decreased sensation from the nipple lying down. Okay, this is a first red herring of this case right here. First red herring. Um, He's able to extend his knees and move his toes some, but he can't lift his legs up. Okay, so, all right, start thinking about what this could be. Um, uh, musculoskeletal, neck and back are non-tender to palpation, increased tone to legs, and stiffness noted. Some other things with the, the physical exam. Uh, scapular contusion suggests rotation injury to the T1 or T-spine. Uh, chest, neck, and abdominal abrasions, think seat belts, think carotid injuries. So not just because this is a talk about unstable cervical fractures. There's other things in the constellation of uh, or pattern of historical or physical findings. Abnormal breathing patterns, C3, C4, C5, keep the diaphragm alive. So you have de-innervation of that, you're going to need to intubate the patient. Horner syndrome, interesting, I don't know if I've ever seen Horner syndrome in a trauma patient. Disruption of the sympathetic chain. And priapism is a severe spinal cord injury. We'll talk about incomplete and complete lesions later on. Gluteal injuries, calcaneal and ankle fractures, again, compressive forces. Whoops, where's my guy? Important on a neurological exam, baseline exam is really important as, as a disease progresses, progresses or not. Um, the, the motor function is, is, is not a great exam, believe it or not, for injury. It's more of group patterns. The sensory exam is, is way more specific. You can pinpoint the, uh, generally you can pinpoint the lesion using a sensory dermatome. Uh, proprioception, you take uh, the posterior column function. Uh, important when you have uh, a certain type of spinal cord injury pattern. Uh, deep tendon reflexes, upper motor uh, preservation versus lower motor loss. So do you have a distal uh, nerve loss or do you have a upper motor neuron? Anogenital reflex, um, anybody know what that is? I didn't know what it was either until I read this, the book. So. Yeah. yeah. Save his pudendal nerve. <laughs> yeah, Tim's uh, pudendal. <laughs> right. So it's a rectal exam, squeeze on the penis, and you get a squeezing of, of the um, anus. That's what that is.
So when that reflex returns, that means that the spinal shock is resolved. Not necessarily spinal shock. It could be, but what you're looking for is complete versus incomplete. So if you have this reflex, if you have anything down there, there's a better chance of recovery. A better chance of recovery. That means it's not a totally complete lesion. So, but, it, but isn't it also true that in the acute phase, like the first 24 hours, that reflex will be absent? It could be, exactly. And when it returns, whatever neural function you have is likely to be permanent. Correct. Okay. So, right. I, I think that's the case. I've always been so, about this. So, so what, what, what this, this is just an, an exam for the, the neural function, right? So, the way I understand it is if you have any type of functioning in that area, there's a better chance for neuro recovery. Any kind of functioning. So you want to check, you know, any kind of toe flicker, this reflex, premasteric reflex, any, anything that indicates a distal, uh, uh, either sensory or motor function. So here's our dermatome. Um, here's our dermatome guy right here. I think he went to UCSF Fresno. And, and the analogous test in the female is you tug on the Foley, and that will give you an anal wink in a woman, as opposed to oh. squeezing the glands penis in a man will give you the anal wink. Cool. And that means that bulbal cavernosis reflex is intact. Cool. Okay. I did not know that. Well, they're, they're yeah, yeah. Well, they're yeah, yeah. Excuse me, ma'am. We are going to yank on this. Uh, spinal cord injury patterns. So, yeah, Tim, I want to thank you for letting me go last here, or almost last here. So, as your legs, are, the eyes are starting to gaze over here. So, we have the different injury patterns: normal spinal cord, so posterior columns. Uh, the, 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 the um, anterior columns, so anterior cord, I'm sorry, anterior cord, where you have loss of this part of the, the spinal cord. Central cord, this is what you tend to see more in the elderly patients in the hyperextension injuries. Uh, and then a brown saccuard, which is a hemisection of the cord. Um, the, and I was talking about the vibration. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever checked vibration ever in the emergency department, but if you do, you're checking the posterior column, which tends to be preserved in the anterior cord. So if you have an anterior cord, you generally will have preservation of the uh, vibratory and position. Okay? So the spinal cord injury patterns, complete neurological lesion is the absence of sensory or motor below the level of injury. And as we're talking about before, if you have any sign of anything, that's a better chance of recovery. If you have nothing outside of spinal shock, outside of spinal shock, um, you'll, you'll have recovery. Okay. Uh, anterior cord syndrome, we talked about that. Pain and sensation, distal to the lesion with preservation of vibration. Okay. So when you do the vibration, check in the emergency department. Uh, central cord is decreased strength to a lesser degree pain and temperature. The upper extremity is affected uh, more so than the lower extremity. So if you're at the foot of the bed, you're checking plantar flexion, but not the upper extremity, it's not as good of a test. You want to check the upper extremities as well in the central cord. This is what you see in the elderly patients typically, central cord. Brown's a card we talked about. Penetrating injury, sometimes it's a protrusion or a, a, a trauma or a tumor. 
uh, core hemisection, ipsilateral loss of motor function, <coughs> contralateral loss of pain and temperature, and it has a best prognosis for recovery. The cauda quina, uh, which is basically the uh, peripheral nerve, when you get the sciatica, the bowel bladder dysfunction, and sandal anesthesia, this has a good prognosis for recovery because it is a uh, peripheral nerve and they have a better chance of uh, regeneration. Also look at the vascular injuries. Um, think of the, uh, if the patient's on anticoagulants. At one time, our, our trauma activations had something to do with a patient being on anticoagulants or not, be it Plavix, be it Coumadin, or the other anticoagulants that we have these days without, I don't know, how do you treat these stupid things now, some of the new drugs that are out? That's the root of why you don't give thrombolytic therapy, either for stroke or MI, with the second case of a spinal tap. That's one of the mm. minor things you're supposed to consider, because they could develop an epidural hematoma and get a cord compression. Right. Right. And those are always fun. If you remember that, it's seven days of a time spinal Right, for that headache. Uh. Well, and, and sometimes, you know, they may have had a headache for their, let's say their, they may have had a spinal tap for their rule-out subarachnoid workup, and they come back with some sort of neurologic deficit, and you attempted to give them the TPA for some right. reason, and then you're not supposed to give it to them because they had the spinal That's tap. LP, and then they're going to get the uh, epidural. Yeah. Exactly. You still with me? Yep. All right, all right. Starbucks car, it's a little bit later here, so sorry about this. Uh, more anatomy. Um, this is going to be really fast. Basically, there's two columns. Easy. Uh, there's an anterior column and a posterior column. The anterior co column is basically your body. Whoops. Keep doing that. Gosh darn it. So <laughs> your body, your disc, the anterior longitudinal lig ligament, posterior longitudinal ligament. Posterior is everything else, your pedicles, your lamina, uh, spinous processes, and a ton of ligaments back there. Yeah. So, um, full disclosure, this, I, I, I hated this talk. I hated this talk. And Lori was kind enough to talk me into doing this. Whenever I had ATLS, I hated these unstable uh, cervical injuries because they just never made sense to me. But if you go to the mechanism of injury and the anatomy and why these things are unstable, they make more sense. So I apologize ahead of time for, you know, springing this on you, you know, anatomy this late in the day. The second thing is, you know, in medical school, I don't know about you, I had to work really hard <laughs> because nothing really came easy to me. And so this, you know, after sitting down and looking at it for a while, it, it kind of makes sense. I look at the head and the neck as like a ball on a stick. Whenever you, you push on that stick, it's going to break. If you swivel it back and forth, it's going to break. You lose the integrity. And it's kind of like that. If, if you break that stick, things are going to be messed up. Same with these ligaments. And, and kind of what Tim was saying, when you get those ligaments, there's a lot of strong ligaments in there. When you get disruption of that, that's when this becomes unstable. So kind of think in those terms. Instability, the uh, disrupted ligaments. So the, the two columns I was talking about, the anterior and the posterior columns, the, uh, you can read that for yourself, posterior column, and basically there's a crap load of stuff back there. So here's another picture of it. This is a lateral view. Um, again, the anterior column here, posterior column here, lots of ligaments back there. If you disrupt these, it's going to be unstable. So think in terms of these ligaments. If you disrupt both columns, correct? 
Because it's, it's just the anterior, just the posterior, it ought to be stable. Generally, generally. Okay, so that's, mm -hmm. that's, I think, a yeah. concept that always confused me. Correct, correct. Talk about the anterior and posterior columns. They both have to be disrupted to be unstable. Correct. So this gentleman, because he had the um, decreased sensation from the nipple line down, he had an MRI of the T-spine. And he, had, he fell on his hand. Evidently, after he opened up the door, knocked him down, and he fell on his hand. So they got an x-ray of his hand. Now, I always like these M&Ms because it's like, I'm glad that wasn't me that <laughs> did this. So he didn't get a cervical spine at the time. I don't know why, but he didn't get a cervical spine. So how do you have gotten a cervical spine? Would things have been different? Maybe, maybe not. But he didn't get a cervical spine. They were thinking about sending him home. He was a little bit demented, but since he couldn't walk, they decided to keep him in a hospital. So, our gentleman gets a minute. What's that? Did he come in and like? Yeah, I believe he did. But he didn't get a C spine. Didn't get a C spine. Yeah. So go figure. Now everybody that walks through the door just about gets a uh, gets a C spine. So. Uh, radiographic evaluation. Um, these are the three lines that you look at. Um, you've got the anterior, con anterior contour, the posterior contour line, and the spinal laminal line. And this sits at the base of the spinous processes. And so here's another view of the uh, posterior cervical line. And I want to thank uh, Rosens for providing these pictures. The ABCs across table, you want to check the alignment. Again, the three lines, the three cervical lines. Check that for alignment. Uh, and also the bony uh, for rheumatoid arthritis. See if there's any osteolytic lesions, any uh, metastatic lesions. The cartilaginous space, any kind of decrease in the intervertebral spaces. And finally, the soft tissue spaces. Uh, retropharyngeal space evaluation and some uh, traumas. AP view, you want to look at the spinous processes and lateral masses, see if there's any kind of splaying of the, uh, or, or deviation of the spinous processes. Uh, the widening of the interpedicular uh, distances uh, suggests a burst fracture. And finally, bulging the mediastinal stripe. Interesting because you may see the mediastinal widening, not just because of a, a dissection, but could also be because of a, a vertebral body injury. Okay, here's another view of the um, uh, lateral and anterior. And finally, the odontoid evaluates the atlas and the axis. So again, look at the dens, look at the splaying of uh, the odontoid. MRI, the major, um, what this does is looks at the surgically correctable lesions. It's great not only in the cervical spine, but the thoracic and the lumbar spine. So what may look like a simple wedge fracture may turn out to be a compression fraction. fracture. <coughs> Big difference. Is there compression on the cord or not? So MRI is great. We tend to be more liberal with it. Are, are, do you have 24-7 MRI? Sort of. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> do you have to call the... Uh, it's not in-house. Okay, so you've got to call them. Okay, so you have to file five pages of, of validation to do the thing. Yeah. So we're, we're pretty good. we got 24-7 MRI coverage. Not always happy about doing it, but we, we do have uh, uh, MRI capability. The contraindications, uh, implantable devices and aneurysmal clips, 
And uh, these days, you can get the, um, the ones that will, will uh, go through an MRI. I did not know that, uh, that they have these new devices out there. Um, the other interesting thing that I thought, even though the CT is negative in the obtunded patient or the uncooperative patient, do you have to get an MRI on that patient? Evidently not. Now, I don't know what your trauma surgeons think about that. If, you need to, if you've got to get that MRI on the intubated, obtunded patient, what, what's their thought? You, you still have to do it. I mean, they do it on the floor. They do it on the floor, right. So they still do that before they're clear. Yeah, yeah they prefer to wake up um, and then try to clear them clinically before. They don't, they don't think it's an emergency to take them to MRI. Okay, so they wait a little bit, wait till they wake up. Okay, that's fair. All right. The um, incidence of C-spine injury in present blunt head trauma, 2 to 5%, increases to 9% if the GCS is lower than 10. No, duh. 10% um, of patients with spine fracture at one level have an injury at a second level. So let's get into these fractures here. Anybody know what this is an advertisement for? No, not RCA close. Who said JVC? Jeez, she's on fire here. There you go. Was that two? It's on fire. It's on fire. JVC. <laughs> Yeah, she, yeah, she Holy. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> he said he's going to need both Starbucks. Maxed out to be able to interpret that. <laughs> so what I was going to say earlier about, you know, this, this stuff, yeah, let's leave this up for your viewing pleasure here. We're not going to go through all this. Uh, Lori's got the, the clock here. So, so Dr. Hipskin was talking earlier about the, uh, and I love John because he's, you know, looking at studies and, and, and keeping up to date about, you know, keeping your belly full, about not eating before you do a procedure. John also has his theory about uh, when you shock a patient that uh, it's okay to, you, you could be in contact with the bed or the gurney of the patient, something like that. You're not going to get shocked. So imagine the nurse's uh, chagrin when a patient comes in that needs to be shocked, and John is, is, is with his hand on the knee. The nurse says, stand back, stand back. Doctor, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. He's got, it will not move his hand off the patient's <laughs> knee. So the team lead and, and John are going back and forth. You know, got to get away from the patient. We're going to shock. We're going to shock. And, and the tension is just getting high in the room. John's like, no, no, it's okay. You know, I read the article. I know I'm not going to get shocked. What happened? Well, the patient died before we could shock because we had the argument. No. You weren't doing impressions. <laughs> no, it, it, it's a quick discussion. They shock and everybody does fine. So everybody did fine. So it was a great story. So, uh, yeah. So how many? How, how much time later? Yeah. So, anyway, thanks, John. I heard the same thing at a, at a talk in San Diego last week, that staying in contact with the patient is safe. It was news to me. And there actually is a move, they say, toward shocking during CPR. Yeah. It, it, Not even. Really? You don't so, feel anything. So, there's so such zealots about never stopping CPR that not even stop to shock, let alone stop to charge. So I, I, it's one of those things that's urban legend. You know, I, the, the current is going between the pads, so how is it? I don't know. You know. Um, 
And the same thing with the, uh, the, the high-dose steroids for spinal cord How do they, anyway, I digress. So these are the, uh, okay, so, so what makes it unstable? Are we okay? Okay, I've got two more cards left. <laughs> so the, the, the point of the slide is just remember we have a patient in front of us. They're, they're probably scared. They can't move their toes, their feet, their hands, whatever. Just, just try to remember that they're a patient. Um, this was taken from one of my favorite books uh, that I just read on my Kindle. Uh, basically, this is an attending in Scotland asks the, uh, one of the students, or, or they call them, what do they call them? Registrars in, in Scotland. Uh, what do you tell a patient in their ear? It's words of comfort. Does anybody know what book this is from? Ever hear of Cutting the Stone? Abraham Varghese? Bar, Bar, he's, he's an attending at, at Stanford. Anyway. If you have a chance in your spare time, it's a great book. So, okay, so we know what that is. Uh, occipital lanal dislocation, uh, severe shear force, unstable, and relatively unconducive for life. There's another picture. God bless Google. The bilateral interfacetal dislocation, hyperflexion, uh, and what you do is you just get perching of your facets. That's what it is. You can pick it up on your lateral view. Um, and this is, as we talked about earlier, your annulus fibrosis, anterior longitudinal ligament is disrupted, uh, and it's 50% of the width of the vertebra. And you usually have uh, neurological deficits with partial dislocation, and you may not have it uh, with uh, the, the actually bilateral because if they're perched, they're basically locked into place. And there's a picture of that. You can see, boom, 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 and down. There's another picture. And there's another picture of that. And again, if you follow the spinal laminar, or the, the, the posterior line here, you have a nice line there, and then it jumps off right there. Teardrop fracture. This is another unstable fracture. This is a flexion teardrop injury. Um, and this is, this is unstable because of this right back here. Your ligamentous structures in the posterior columns are disrupted. Small little ditzel fracture in the front. Big injury in the back. Unstable fracture. Yeah, it's really... It's, so, it doesn't look bad on the plane film, but it's devastating. Here's your ditzel fracture here. And there's your major injury right there. So teardrop fracture, number three. Uh, the, um, it's a me uh, mechanism injury flexion. Um, and this is highly unstable because of the, the ligamentous disruption here. There's another picture. And then, again, it's, you know, you kind of have to look for this thing. These x-rays are kind of fun. Um, I always look to see if there's any kind of foreign body in this structure right here. See how unstable it is. Hyperextension dislocation. This is a hyperextension. This is a central cord, typically. This is your, typically your elderly patient uh, with this. Uh, this is a complete tear of the anterior longitudinal ligament and the intervertebral disc disruption of the posterior ligamentous complex, which makes it very unstable. So that's how that looks.
And you can see how the cord would be affected right here. There's not a very good picture right there. Oops. And the MRI shows some bad stuff to the cord right there. So what's the mechanism there? Is it just that they're so old that they've calcified ligaments and they're just the extension mechanism that kind of cracks the ligaments? Or? Yeah, I don't know. It, 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 it could be because things are ossified. You don't have that, that flexibility of the, the, the ligament. I'm guessing. I don't know. That was the extension mechanism for what? Was that? Yeah, central core. Yeah, central core. The calcified ligamentum flavor yeah. that buckles in the back of the cord. I never understood why the ligamentum flavor buckling into the back of the cord causes a central cord syndrome, but it does. I don't know why. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's that calcified ligamentum flavor. Right. So extension teardrop. So if you didn't see that, so the extension, hyperextension, pulls off this little piece in the front. Again, one of those ditzel-looking fractures, but bad re uh, repercussions. So here's your little ditzel, almost hard to see. I'm sorry, right there, right there. This is a little ditzel. That's a true ditzel. Hey, Lori, what happened to my arrows here? Uh, uh, I don't know. I yeah. Follow the picture. I think oh. oh, man. Okay, so hyperextension, right? Anterior longitudinal ligament, as you saw, that's pulling off that little fleck there. Not the osteophyte, the other, the bigger piece there. Um, and unstable inflection. Hangman's fracture, this was typical, uh, archaically, it was a judicial hanging when the neck would snap back. Um, this is, a, now Rosen said, and I, I don't understand how this works, it's abrupt deceleration. So if you get hit though, if, you get, if you're going forward, your body's going forward, I would think your neck would go forward, right, if you're head on. I would think if you got hit from behind, you would go into extension. So I don't get this. Uh, but smarter minds than mine could probably figure, figure that out. Bilateral pedicle fracture, minimal neurological injury. Interesting, because there's a lot of space back there, a lot of space in that canal. And you guys know it's because they put the knot in the front when they hang you in the past, so people hang themselves now put the knot behind them. Oh, do they? So they don't get them anymore when you have a real hanging. You wouldn't oh, get so you hanged. get... Or like a person who hangs themselves usually puts the knot behind themselves. But oh. in the judicial ones, they go. They go in I don't know how they did it for... Um, what's his face? Who'd we hang? Iraq? Saw him. Yeah. Did they do that? Was that in the front? I, I think they shot him first, but no, I'm kidding. No. Um, <laughs> so here's your. Sorry about that. Here's your. Uh, there's your pedicle fracture right there, and it's got the positive arrow sign. And there's a picture of the hangman's fracture, head snapping back like that. Uh, again, I don't see how that's a deceleration injury, but but go figure. And here's the injury. Right there, and so you can get um, some uh, vascular injury as well. There it is again. That's a better picture of the pedicle fracture right there. How am I doing, Lori? So we're at the dirty seven right now. Axis fracture number seven. This is a shear injury, um, neurologically uh, damaged in 18 to 25 percent. And it's classified by one, two, or three. Which is the worst one here? One, two, or three? Still waking up. Two. So two would be two. Two and three. Two and three. Right, 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 right. So right on. All right. So yeah, yeah. 
Oh, no, you can't go wrong with a two. It's like pick C. Pick C. All right. And it's complicated by non-union. If you Google this, you could see the screws that go right up through the dens as, I guess, the, uh, the treatment. So there's our one, two, and three. Uh, these are unstable. The two and three are unstable. Uh, burst fracture, direct axial load, displaced fragments in all directions. Uh, it's important to separate that out from a compression fracture. Uh, when in doubt, get an MRI. Uh, also, I guess you could get a uh, good neuro exam, too. Here's more of the compression fracture. Uh, be careful the interior of vertebral uh, body height. Look at the 25% or more. Uh, significant posterior ligamentous disruption. And uh, again, be careful of the confusion with the wedge fracture. The thoracic area axial loading, uh, you can have both a failure of the anterior middle columns, smile cord compression, and this is also unstable. And I've got some really good, pretty good picture here. So this is, what is this right here? Okay, so if you get a calcaneus fracture, what other part of the body are you going to be x-raying? T-spine, L-spine, right, exactly. So this will, the force typically transmits up to the, uh, the L-spine. So you get a calcaneal fracture, lots of force to break that big bone in your foot, so you want to look higher in the, uh, the L-spine. And here's a picture of that. So what looked like maybe a little distal fracture, a little, little uh, wedge fracture, can actually have significant damage to the cord here. So here's another burst fracture. Again, doesn't look like much. Jeffrey Jefferson, what kind of fracture does he have? <laughs> the dirty nine, Jefferson. So this is axial load, vertical compression. Uh, any of those pictures uh, come to mind that would have caused this one? Exactly, right. So the sparing in the football, the, uh, that wrestler picture, any kind of axial load. Associated transverse ligament disruption, and it's potentially unstable. So here's a nice little diagram. So your Jefferson fracture is this red part up here. Um, your lateral mass fracture is right there, and then you can also have the uh, transverse ligament fracture or uh, disruption right there. So here's a nice uh, X-ray uh, CT here. And then this is when the, the masses are displaced laterally here. And then... So, so the outside corner on the upper left picture, the outside corner of a lateral mass cannot ever be outside the corner underneath it. Right Those here. Those corners have to line up. If that's ever out, that's the Jefferson fracture. So yep. Because the lateral mass is submerged, they splay out like that. So that corner always has to line up. If it doesn't, you're in trouble. Exactly, so you want to line up the pieces right there. Clay shovelers, we'll just throw this in. This is not one of the dirty nine. Um, this is common in, in um, hyperflexion. Now, I would think with a clay shoveler, when you shovel, you go like that. But for some reason, this is another flexion injury. So I don't know. Go figure. Because it's an avulsion, right? Yep, it's an avulsion. It's off the, the spinous process. Exactly. Very, so it makes sense. But when you shovel, you know, usually when I shovel, I, you know, go back like that. Right. When my wife you makes me shovel. Properly, I'm not. 
But I haven't broke my neck yet. So, <laughs> so working on it. Uh, so chance fractures, look at this when you have a seat belt. If you got a seat belt uh, abrasion, think about this chance fracture. Patient really automatically buys himself a CAT scan of their abdomen and pelvis. It's very unstable. Uh, okay, so back to our guy. Um, he was commenting that he couldn't move his legs. He got admitted. Okay, so what do we do for a treatment? You know, one of the things, what, what's your policy for people that come in on backboards from EMS? Are you like rapid to get them off? Do you get them off right away. Okay, perfect, perfect. Did you have to, as residents, do you have to stay on the backboard at all? You didn't have to go through that drill? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> so subluxations, Gardner Wells. Uh, the patient, um, the thoracolumbar area is difficult to immobilize for obvious reasons. Progressive neurological deterioration, urgent surgery, and uh, even the complete spinal cord lesions, uh, you you often are best served with surgery to prevent long-term um, uh, deformity. How are we doing here? Okay, so if you send a patient home, they can use that, you know, like you're, sorry. So this is uh, this guy's MRI. So does anybody know what he had then, this guy? So went to, went to answer the door, smacked his head on the door. Old guy hit his head back, hyperextension injury. What's that? Central cord. Okay, central cord. Awesome. There you go. Central cord. Good, good. So there's his MRI. He's got the positive uh, measurement signs here. And so this is what happened to this guy. Poor guy. And, and yeah, I don't know. That's that's kind of weird. I think that just pops up on our electronic. I think so. So here's our management kids. When they come in on a backboard, you want to keep their back elevated a little bit because their their head is big relative to the rest of their body under eight years of age. Um, since you get them off the backboard, not a big deal. Airway management, maxillofacial, think early intubation. Uh, lesions above C3, respiratory paralysis, uh, utility of inline spinal spa stabilization with intubation. What's, what are you doing when you're intubating now? Uh, patients in a collar, are you doing the inline stabilization, doing that? Okay. okay. Do you leave the collar on and glide scope it? No. no. Uh, some, I mean, sometimes, yeah, not usually. Okay. So they question that. Think of associated injuries, cardiopulmonary, sympathetic discharge, you can have uh, pulmonary edema. Uh, GIGU, you can get a, a atony of both, so NG tube, Foley catheter. Uh, skin, denervated skin, you get pressure necrosis. So it's great that you get the patients off the backboard. Very good. You all know that. Basic stuff. Closing. Consider the mechanism of injury. Uh, it's always nice to know what happens out in the field. Historical, anatomical, physical considerations. The, uh, understand the radiographs, the, the AP, lateral, and the odontoid view. Uh, the evil nine, so the unstable fractures that we talked about, and mechanism of injury, basic anatomy of those. Always remember the patient. The patient's scared. 
Uh, I know when I, you know, when you're a resident, you're thinking all these things are going on in your head. Okay, is it, you know, do I get the CT? Am I going to, you know, blah blah blah? But there's still a patient underneath. They're probably very scared. So by spending a little time with them, they will really appreciate it. Uh, and then the management we talked about, bibliography. Oops. I got one more question now. Go down the last one. <laughs> What's that? I, old person, weak grips. Is gonna, I just gonna oh, yeah, yeah. Check the grips. Check the grips. Exactly. Whoops. Okay. So my last question. This is, um, uh, this is a clinic we ran down in Honduras. Um, so the final question. I've got one card here. What are they doing in the back here? This is out the front of our clinic here. They've got their sunglasses. They're really stoked about this. They're saying, you know, it's a cool looking dude right here. Some kind of solar. He's doing something. There's a girl here. She's doing something here. This is totally non medical. They're playing Angry Birds. They're playing. They're playing what? Angry Birds. No, not Angry Birds. 3D movies? No? No? Close. Who said that? Good. What are they doing? Patty cake. So if you, patty cake. If you ever have a chance to go abroad to do uh, any kind of work, I highly recommend it. It is a such a, it, you know, coming from the technophile uh, culture of the American uh, medical system, going to a place that has none of this stuff, it's it's not only humbling, but it's like wow, this is really cool. You could do some really cool stuff down here. We spent a week in this mountain area back in Honduras. Loved it. Very nice people, very appreciative. Bone up on your Spanish. You would not be disappointed. So that's my talk. Any questions at all? So, I, so uh, like I said earlier, I, I'm the medical director at Quia Delta. If anybody wants to do a rotation or consider coming up 